0: to Wow and welcome to the Akamemukh Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemukh is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere. Or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. After seven years as National Chief, I'm not seeking re-election this July. I wanted to pause and reflect on what we've learned on this podcast over this last difficult pandemic year. As National Chief for the past seven years and as a longtime First Nations leader, as a husband, father, son, a brother and community member, one thing that has always inspired me is hope. I'm a big believer in leaving more hope in a room than was there when you entered it. So in our 50 plus episodes of Akamemok, no matter how difficult the conversation, I always ended with this question. What Brings you hope. The answers were often inspiring, and I want to share some of my favorites with you all. I hope you enjoy them. Chief Willie Littlechild, Cree leader, former member of Parliament, former Truth and Reconciliation Commissioner, and he's an international Indigenous rights advocate who played a leading role in the development of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. What gives you hope?
1: Well, the instructions of my elders when I began this journey and what they wanted to see come out of the work, I guess the energy was the Akameimo, Akameimo, keep trying and keep trying. I've seen the loss of hope in our people. So sometimes I say to chiefs, Akameimo Tan, let's practice the politics of hope. Let's give our children a hopeful future It's the effort and the joy of trying hard as you can or harder than you can sometimes to work for our people that drives you and that gives you hope that one of these days we will see that success. That gives me hope.
0: Dr. Lorna Wanosca Williams, Walking in Peace one of Canada's leading experts on the promotion and restoration of Indigenous culture and language. What can you say to our listeners to provide hope? What gives you hope as an individual, as an elder, as a teacher, as a role model for us?
2: I'm in a very privileged place that I'm connected to and in communication with people, not just in British Columbia, but across the country and around the world, you know. So I hear the stories that they tell me about the work they're doing with our languages. And I know that we're okay. You know, when I think about, I was at the university, you know, at a degree granting ceremony, this was before COVID. And I was sitting there and there was a young family and they were speaking, uh, you know, they were speaking their language. In, it was the the young man was in a, was graduating from our, from our master's degree in Indigenous language revitalization, and his story was there was no no more no speakers of his language in his community no more. He decided that he was going to learn his language, and he set that up. He set about to do that. And when he married, he told his wife that she would have to learn the language and their children would hear that language first. And so here here he was now graduating with a master's degree and their entire family spoke their language. He brought that language back alive, you know, for his people. That gives me hope.
0: William Prince. Award-winning country music star from Pegwa's First Station, Treaty One Territory in Manitoba.
3: Well, uh, it's easy to draw on the fact that um, my hope has always, always come from the same source, and that's my son, my partner, um, my inspiring family that I get to be with here. My, um, my son learned to ride a bike this year, that's one of the highlights of 2020. My nieces are learning piano. My sister is still attending school and working in a hospital on the front line. My brother-in-law grows in his business aspirations. My mom is still loving and one of the greatest people that I could know. And I see now, I'm hopeful in the fact that there are young people out there who are more fired up than ever to document injustice call it out and that this this old way is dead this old way of ignorance and letting things lie just because they have and can is no longer what we're going to take and stand for i'm happy and excited for the future of developing conversations the peg first nation uh, gives me hope and hoping that we can continue to work on our issues as a community and can grow and that all these things that continue to oppress First Nations people, that lateral violence, internal frustrations, that this is exactly what they want from us. They want inner fighting, inner squabbling and questioning of our morale and our mettle and everything that we are historically and going forward. And so I'm given hope by the speakers who are not allowing that to happen. And what an honor to have uh, this conversation with you and to be considered amongst cloth that belongs to this podcast speaking on these things i've been listening to the episodes leading up to this and those episodes and and this documentation gives me hope so family and all those good things more music to come we will get through this this too shall pass if you believe (laughs) and uh yeah
0: brian mulroney 18th prime minister of canada from 1984 to 1993.
4: Well, what gives me hope is the magnificence of our citizenship and the achievements, the great achievements of Canada uh, as a civilized, uh, thoughtful, generous nation uh, over 153 years. And that's because we've contributed to the defeat of, of Nazism, we've contributed to the defeat of communism, the implosion of the Soviet Union, and so on, while living intelligent and, and, uh, as I say, generous lives here in Canada. There are exceptions to that. And we've been talking about some of the very important exceptions today. But what gives me hope is the capacity of Canadians, uh, when confronted by this kind of a challenge, to rise and find the means to solve it. If we took our brain power and our talents and our assets and focused on getting some fundamental problems solved here, we can do it. And that's what gives me hope.
0: Dr. Dan Longboat, founding director of the Indigenous Environmental Science Studies Program at Trent University and the current director of quality assurance at the Indigenous Advanced Education and Skills Council.
5: Our knowledge came out of creation, came out of the spirit world. And it's our engagement with this, with spirit that then has provided for us all of the things necessary for us to be able to, to survive and to live and to flourish as human beings, to live a full, beautiful life. And I love the way, you know, uh, your people talk about that as uh, 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 like a beautiful life. Um, to look at that and to understand that, that knowledge and the goals of that, you know, have all been precipitated and have come from from spirit. And the ways of being able to achieve that come from spirit. And so our connection then to spirit and our, our engagement with that has, has enabled our great ancestors to provide a culture and a way of life and practice that we have transmitted throughout the generations, through thousands of generations of, of Indigenous peoples to where we are right now. And that knowledge still continues to exist. Sometimes it's a bit degraded and a bit changed over a period of time, but the essential knowledge is still there. All of the elements that gave our great ancestors tens of thousands of years ago, thousands of generations of human beings ago, those beings that, that gave us that knowledge are still there. Those trees, those birds, those animals, the spirit beings, the ancestors, all the different things that exist are still there. And they're waiting for us to be able to go to them and greet them and to give them thanks that they have sustained our people throughout time. And they have continued to provide it and that they're still here with us. And we would hope that they would continue to be here into the future. And now all we have to do is ask them for help. And now what I do, you know, before I I always do my classes and I would urge everybody kind of understand and kind of maybe employ some of these if it would be a benefit to you, is to ask uh, ask creation, ask our spirit beings, ask those helpers, ask our ancestors, ask the creator, help me now. Give me in my mind the right, the right thinking. Put in my mouth the right words. Give me the right power and strength to be able to do the work so that we can continue to live. Help me help them help life continue. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the continuation of life, not just human beings' life, everything that exists within the world, the animals, the birds, the trees, the water, the fish, all the things that exist, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that is there Working, as I love the way my uh, my teacher, the late Jake Swamp, would talk about that. He says, imagine all of the elements in the natural world, he says, as members of one big family, all working together for the continuation of life. It's like, oh, man, how beautiful is that?
0: Marion Crow, Chief Executive Officer of the First Nations Health Managers Association.
6: I am
7: especially inspired by a a young woman that used to be on our staff while she's on leave right now, and this is why I'm hopeful. Juanita Rickards, a First Nation nurse from Northern Ontario working with FNHMA who decided during this pandemic she was gonna go run to the fire, not away from it. She went home to her own community and is nursing And what more inspiration do we need other than that is how we live. We go home. We give the support, skills, and all of the knowledge that we have back to the community. And that, to me, is an example of hope, resiliency, and just who we are as Indigenous people.
0: Wade Davis, an award-winning author, explorer, filmmaker. Harvard-trained botanist and professor of anthropology at the University of British Columbia, and a leading expert and supporter of indigenous language, culture, and knowledge. What gives you hope? Hey, you give me hope, my friend. I mean, honestly, the very fact that we have an assembly of First
1: Nations, that we have a national chief... Uh, given that diseases swept away 90% of your ancestors within a generation of contact, this, this notion that indigenous people were
0: decimated is a false use of the language because decimate in Latin means to kill one in 10. It was the opposite,
3: it was nine in 10.
0: You know, it's like Father Barry said in his book, uh, A Dream of the Earth the very fact that the First Nations are still with us is itself, in a sense, miraculous. Mary Ellen Interpell Lafond, judge, a lawyer. She's an advocate for children's rights, and she's author of a report on racism in British Columbia's healthcare system.
7: So what gives me a lot of hope is how I've been seeing in real time this UN declaration that people think it's some abstract thing for lawyers or whatever, but it's so fundamentally helpful when people in the system understand discrimination. They have this, like putting on a new set of glasses, they see it differently, and suddenly everything's easy. Right. So what I find really hopeful is if we really embraced that commitment to ending discrimination, implementing the declaration, if health professionals got trained and in the health system, we had good training to understand why are these you know, articles in this declaration so important? Why are we implementing it? Because it allows us to deal with racism. Yes, we have to deal with lands and territories and many, many other issues as well and you know, free prior form consent is really important. Absolutely, I'm, I, I, it's like, it's, but so much informa- so much chatter has been on that, as opposed to, hey, don't you want to end racism? <laughs> like, this is a yeah. great tool. So what gives me really big hope is, this has been a been BC, I hope it spreads. I hope nationally, we do have a, a federal UNDRIP legislation, the UN declaration is implemented. I do hope that means, Canada changes the National Health Act and puts a commitment to anti-racism in there. I see how easy it is once you start down that path, like how easy it is. But if you're in the path of fighting, you, you know, if the healthcare system want to be Indian fighters and re- disrespect people, I just think a lot of our young people who I educate, the law students and others, you know, they're, they're just going to mm-hmm. sue your pants off and you're going to lose yeah. anyway. So you might as well try and work with us.
0: Jugmeet Singh leader of the
8: federal New Democratic Party. Young people give me hope. When you go anywhere across this country, when you speak to young people and see how much they care, I, you know, I've met with young kids who have never met an Indigenous uh, person or have never gone to an Indigenous reserve or a First Nations reserve, and they care. They say, why is it in our country that they don't have clean drinking water? When I see young kids raise this who have never been exposed to it directly, but just care because they've got compassion, it's, it reminds me that there is so much potential that for us to, to make a difference. When I see people, uh, you know, thousands of young people take to the streets and say, we want to see changes to protect our environment, uh, I'm inspired by that. And, and it gives me a lot of hope.
0: Bobby Joe Greenland Morgan, Grand Chief and President of the Gwich'in Tribal Council.
9: I had hope. When, and an encouragement when I seen how our people in our communities, our ch- local chiefs and and leadership in the communities, how they worked together as uh, soon as things were declared a pandemic in March, um, the community response plans, you know, it's like it was so great to see like all these uh, important things. Sometimes with politics, you see these things, this disagreements and all these things, I, you know, very well, everything was just put aside and the importance of taking care of the people community response people were working together that really gave me hope because i was thinking okay this is what this is who we are we're not all that political white man government style of doing things this is who we are and and my point i'm getting at here is this pandemic experience also made a lot of us um reaffirm why this we need to protect the caribou. Um, quickly, you know, things start shutting down. You've been up here, Chief Perry, you've seen the how long the Dempster Highway is, often goes under closure for different reasons. But if trucks were to stop, you know, our fuels shipped, are trucked in, our um, food is trucked in, and things, you know, shelves, people are worried about shelves going bare, uh, maybe trucks not being able to come in and things shutting down. and. I looked around in our communities and we were uh, blessed as a people this winter and spring because we had a lot of caribou, a lot of caribou were in the wintering area, uh, which was a a good thing for us because people were able to uh, harvest and uh, have their freezers full and and those who were done their harvest, you know, started helping and harvesting for those who might not have had the means to get out there—elderly, uh, single, fa- single-parent families, uh, th- like things like that. And everyone was just trying looking out for each other and making sure that everyone had full freezers. And that just reaffirmed, you know, this is that this is what money can't buy. You got a global pandemic, everything crashing down, money being lost here and there in the market, but we had food (laughs) we our freezers were full we didn't have to depend on you know the 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 meat that is getting shipped in from the south
0: kevin loring of the inklak nation in british columbia he's the artistic director of the indigenous
10: theater at the national arts center in ottawa there's so much strife and 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 change and uh, and stuff that's going on. And I think it's a really transformative moment right now. And I think that we have an opportunity to really look at the institutions, uh, not just the cultural institutions, but all of our institutions, and to really examine and say, you know what these institutions were created in the last century, right They were built in the last century or and now we're in this new century and these old institutions, are not actually uh, functioning in the way in which the society needs them to, and now it's time, I think, to go back to all these institutions and do a total like reboot. What is it? What is what does it mean to to exist in this century with these values and this set of uh, priorities versus the old century's priorities? I think we're you know we're in you know, 20 years into a new century, and and I still feel like we're in the post World War II hangover still. I think now we're in a new century. We need to re-examine those institutions, and I think that we need to indigenize them. I think that every single one of the federal institutions in the country should have like an indigenous co- understanding and component to them, indigenous people working in them, uh, you know, and all of the theaters as well. There's a lot of conversations being had right now about the exclusion of uh, BIPOC artists and 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 folks within the alt cultural arts sector, uh, and how do we reverse that? Um, how do, we, how, do I, how do we open up our cultural spaces so they're not just white spaces, that they, are, that they are inclusive and that they are welcoming to all communities? And so these are massive questions that, that uh, we are we're really, I think, at a time where we need to address them and wrestle them down to the ground and come up with uh, new solutions.
0: Elder Wilfred Buck. He's one of the leading First Nations astronomy and star lore experts and he's a proud member of the Opasquia Cree Nation, Treaty 5 territory in Manitoba.
1: Well, the thing that gives me hope is the young people, their willingness to learn, their willingness to, to, to question, of course, question the authority of uh, the educational institutions, question the authority of the church, and even even question the authority of the government and, and not take it so willingly, to question why. And um, their willingness to, um, to go back to ceremony, to find their roots. And then from there, slowly work from there into adjusting their perspective to make our people more more powerful, more strong. Because uh, that was given to us a long time ago. There's a constellation in the sky called the male, the male with a sturgeon, and he swims in the Milky Way, the river of spirits, and his nose touches one side of the Milky Way, and his tail touches the other side of the Milky Way, and he swims. And and we're told that where that sturgeon swims, that's the present, And where his nose touches, that's the future. And where his tail touches, that's the past. There's 13 stars to make up that constellation, but there's seven main ones. And those seven main ones represent generations. And we, right now in the present, swimming in that Milky Way, we're right in the center of those seven. So there's three ahead of us and there's three behind us. So, of course, behind us are our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents. And in front of us are our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. So the two extremes, the great-grandchildren and the great-grandparents, of course, we call them tapan, the ones that tie together. So one ties together the future, our great-grandchildren, and our great-grandparents tie together the past. In the central, is our job to continue to pass on the knowledge that was sent down to us. And if you want those people in the future to be strong, to be proud, to be strong, to be understanding, to be kind, to be loving, then the, the message that we were given, we have to send on to the ones in front of us so they can take into the future to people we don't know. So that's all of our job and that's the job of our, our children and our grandchildren.
0: Canadian Senator Kim Pate, an internationally recognized expert in the area of legal and prison reform.
11: I've always been a hopeful person and otherwise I probably wouldn't be doing this. And I do think that this pandemic has you know many of us knew the all of these issues before the pandemic but one of the things that has really struck me is the revealing of the racism and the economic inequality and the health inequality that people can't ignore anymore people who said that you know it didn't exist before uh, can't ignore it now can't ignore how we undervalued people who care for other people whether it's in care homes in schools uh, the you know the elderly children uh, those with disabilities. And so I actually think the way people have risen to the occasion is something that gives me great hope now. And the, you know, my, my worry is that the government will not take the bold action that they can and they should. And, It reminds me of the time when um, Medicare and some of these other processes were introduced. I think we, we have the resources to ensure that every person in this country is fed, clothed, housed, and educated. And if we actually reallocated the resources to ensure that people were properly taken care of, we would see two main things. One we'd see a whole lot happier country and people being able to live and fulfill their own you know ideas of what they want to do people being able to uh, contribute to the community in ways they wanted to and we would see a better standard of living for all of us and we would see less need for the the type of health care urgent health care issues that we do and we would see far fewer people victimized criminalized or institutionalized. And that gives me great hope. And I think leaders like you, leaders like the young people that I was meeting with last night and um, the incredible energy that's out in the community is what gives me hope and keeps me moving in those directions.
0: That's General Joe Paul, the highest ranking First Nations officer in the Canadian Armed Forces.
12: My dad, you know, was a member of the band council for a few years like my my grandfather he was always saying nobody when i was a kid were talking about their aboriginal heritage it's people were discreet about it and then he would tell me and nowadays everybody's looking for an indian in their genealogical tree everybody's trying to find you know some some aboriginal ancestry in their lineage i guess we should see that as something positive. I guess, you know, the people don't look at us maybe the same way they used to. Maybe they look at us as something positive. I mean, if they're looking for some maybe Aboriginal roots in their own family, well, I guess I would like to think that somehow, somewhere they they like who we are. They kind of admire us, you know, they, they have some, some sort of respect vis-à-vis our nations and our communities. So I guess that that gives me some hope.
0: Brad Regeer, the first First Nations president of the Canadian Bar Association. What gives you hope?
8: It's younger people. Younger people who have uh, said enough is enough. We gotta actually do something. We gotta effect change. We need to make things different. We need to make things better. Um, I'm getting long in the tooth. Uh, can't stay up that late anymore. Uh, but uh, I see young people come out of and and you know I'm in the, I'm in the legal field, so I see people coming out of law school who are full of uh, full of energy and you know are are thinking things, saying things which when I came out of law school over 20 years ago, I didn't think were even going to be possible. Um, I didn't think that a firm like mine could really exist. And I see lots of young people saying, we're going to do that. We're going to do, you know, we're going to have a, there was a bunch of young women came out of uh, the law school here in Manitoba and said that their goal is to set up uh, an all indigenous woman law firm uh, in a couple of years. And uh, I, I wish them nothing but the best. And I hope that they can do it because uh, it's just that it gives me hope. Louise Bernice Half, Sky
0: Dancer. Canada's first Indigenous parliamentary poet laureate and a proud member of the Saddle Lake Cree Nation, Treaty Six Territory in Alberta.
13: I do have hope. I have seen a, a movement. It's um, tiny little movements sometimes, but I think if I can survive forty-eight years of marriage to a white man and survived his family, w- where I had to deal with some of that stuff, we can survive anything. And but we also in, in need to look at our own racism, our own lateral violence, that exists. There's no doubt about it. I've experienced it. I watch others practicing it, and it's not nice. And we have to learn uh, those beautiful skills that our elders talk about, those seven grandmothers, kindness, love, respect, humility, humbleness, all of that, all of those grandmothers. And they're difficult. It's difficult to somebody, to to respect somebody who's slapping you across the face, you know, Um, it's with their lateral violence. And all all I can say is, Wagutun comes from the dawn, and it comes from a place of enlightenment. But that enlightenment sometimes is like a lightning that travels across the sky and strikes We are crooked beings, not in terms of we're thieves and robbers and uh, people like... We, We are just wounded beings working toward enlightenment, and we're full of energy.
0: Dr. Alika LaFontaine, the first Indigenous person elected as president of the Canadian Medical Association.
14: What gives me the most hope is that I'm seeing people have a voice. You know, there, there was a time, you know, 10, 15 years ago where I couldn't even say the word racism. You know, I, I'd give a presentation on indigenous health and I'd talk about how patients were scared or other things, but I couldn't actually use the word racism because people weren't ready to hear hear that word. And, you know, uh, Ted Cusance, who, you know, was a past chief over at Kisaku's First Nation, he, he told me years ago that people who experience trauma are always ready to share their story, but people aren't ready to hear it, and I think we live in an age now where not only are people becoming more comfortable in hearing, like the reality of what it means to be an Indigenous person, an Indigenous patient, um, and to have these struggles, but they're also finding different ways to share those messages. You know, help people to see and experience, um, you know, what they live with day to day in a way that really connects and resonates with them. You know i i'm i'm very hopeful because i see you know youth and elders and leaders across the country who are making a difference every day and who i look to in order to you know help me understand where i need to focus in in the different areas that i have influenced so i i'm extremely hopeful moving forward i think the more that our our youth uh, live up to the potential that they have and the more that our elders are able to connect you know, the past and the teachings that we need to understand with kind of our lived reality today, um, I, I see us being a much more powerful uh, group of nations moving into the future than, than we are today, and, and that's an extremely hopeful statement.
0: Romeo Saganash is a Cree lawyer, a politician, and a leading champion of efforts to get Canada to align its laws with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples.
15: Our resilience uh, is what gives me hope. When I got elected in 2011, the first thing I did in the first day of the House was not to go to my seat, but to go to the clerk's table, which is right in front of the speakers. And I I walked up to the clerk and I asked, may I ask my questions in this house in my language? May I do my speeches in this house in my language? The response was, Romeo, as a jurist, you surely know that the official languages in this place, in this country, are English and French. And in 2011, when I was told that, I did not accept that response. So I worked tirelessly over the eight and a half years that I was there um, to achieve that change, to get recognition of Aboriginal languages. In, in in the House of Commons. Um, and it, it took a good seven years to get there. Today, any Indigenous person that wishes to speak their Indigenous language can do so without fighting for that right. So that that proves to me that we can change these systems to re- so that we can have a rightful place within them if we choose to. Connor Roulette, was a key part of Canada's gold
0: medal winning team at the under 18 world hockey championships early this May in Texas. Connor grew up in Winnipeg's North end and is a member of the Missipua stick Cree nation in treaty five territory, Manitoba. The 18 year old roulette got five points in seven games at the tournament, earning him a lot of praise and the possibility that he could go in the first round of the next national hockey league draft.
16: Um, you know, I look at where I am right now. Um, you know, how far I've made it just from being a young kid and having all these, these dreams and these hopes. And, you know, I always also look at just the support I've had growing up. You know, I can just talk all day about support I've had with my, my, um, my older brother, my parents, my grandparents. And, uh, you know, they're just really great people that helped me so far. And I think for me that, that gives me a lot of hope. Um, there's so much things that come with that. Um, you know they're they're always cheering me on they're always they always got their smiles on whenever i do something good and they've always got their smiles on if something ever bad happens they're just always you know they're always lifting me up and they're always you know pushing me forward and um for me that's that's you know that's the best hope anyone i think can ask for is when you have that support and you have all that that positive energy coming from such happy people and you know that's for me that's the biggest thing um You know, the the love and the support I get from my family and friends just keeps pushing me going, keeps me going. And uh, that that gives me so much hope.
0: Cadmus Delorme, he's chief and a proud member of the Cowessess First Nation, where those 751 unmarked graves were found at the former
17: Maryvale Indian Residential School. I bring hope as I look at kids today and I'm like, okay, the past we cannot change. The present is where we're at. I will focus on the future. I will show this world that someone with a braid that has a cheeky, Cree smile once in a while and can throw out some really good res jokes, can walk into any room in this world and not change my attitude of who I am from the reserve, from a First Nation, and they will still accept me as I am because I, I don't want the next generation to have to try prove themselves. I want them to be dreamers. So, you know, I'm inspired for the future because my parents built me to be who I am today. And as a chief, I think it's the greatest job in the world. It's not an easy job, but I, I want to make sure that we have more dreamers moving forward. And that that is what motivates me every day.
0: You might know Tom Jackson from his acting roles in big-budget Hollywood films like 2019's Cold Pursuit with Liam Neeson, or from the Netflix shows like Outlander or CBC's North of 60. You've also likely heard his best-selling country albums or know him from his years of social activism in the fight against poverty.
18: That I have been fortunate enough to be surrounded by a dream. That dream is a manifestation of the team. The people who I've, over the course of my lifetime, come to know mutual value, mutual respect, having the ability to make a decision, knowing that that decision is the right decision versus a wrong decision. And you're on that team. There's no escape. So you're part of my team. So I should have said this earlier. Let me just tell you this, Harry look at me look at me
17: mm-hmm
18: I I got you love you and let me tell you why because you saved my life yeah I am older than you but it's what you do your heart your commitment Your compassion and your leading to truth saved my life. You give me a dream like you give others a dream. And they get to see a star somewhere. And you give them the courage to reach that star and to grab it. To hang on to it. That's you. That's who you are. And you're part of my team, and I
0: love my team. Marie Wilson, former commissioner on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission.
6: May I just say, National Chief, I I wanna say one last thing, and maybe I can just add it under the headline of of hope. You know, what what has given me hope through all of this, and what continues to give me hope, is um, visionary leadership. And I want to say, as you leave your term of office, I want to say my tremendous appreciation to you, Masi Cho, for the leadership that you have shown in a sustained way on all of these issues related to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And may I also say on a very personal note, um, the tremendous personal honor that you gave me and my two commissioner colleagues in blanketing us at the Chief's Assembly. And I treasure that moment. I treasured that memory and I treasured that gifted blanket. I thank you so very much for that, and we are all family now, to me,
0: Thanks so much for listening to this special episode on hope. After a break over the summer, we'll be back with new episodes in the fall. We look forward to continuing these conversations with you when we get back. The Akame Muk Podcast is produced by David McGuffin of Explore Podcast Productions. And our theme music is provided by the Red Dog Singers, Treaty 4 Territory, Southern Saskatchewan. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgart, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations.